Hello and welcome to the Double Double. My name is David Dixon and it is Wednesday, June 9th here in a hot and humid New York City. Hope everyone is doing well. A lot of NBA basketball to recap the last couple of days. We are now officially into the second round of the playoffs in both the Eastern and the Western Conferences. We have chalk across the board in the Western Conference. Matching up, we had the start of Jazz Clippers last night. We had start of uh, Tuesday night. We had, or sorry, Monday night we had Suns Nuggets, which was a really interesting game. A lot of interesting matchups in the Western Conference. And in the Eastern Conference, we have superstars all over the place playing like superstars in most cases and uh just it's like the battle of the network stars in the nba eastern conference so jumping right into it the most interesting and hyped up series coming into the second round was bucks nets i talked about it i talked about game one everyone was crazy interested in this people are calling it this is like a pre-nba files of who wins this series will be the odds on favor to go on it and and win the title james harden as we as as everyone saw injured 40 some odd seconds into game one on saturday night he was out for game two on on monday night and it fundamentally did not matter the net domination i think maybe too light of a word they came out and just blasted Milwaukee away from the jump they jumped out they won the first quarter 36 to 19 then they won the second quarter by seven adding on they had a 24 point lead going into the half the Nets won every single quarter including the fourth quarter when both teams waved the white flag just an absolute demolition derby by the Brooklyn Nets and look we're going to talk about the Bucks first the Bucks are lost they have not lost this series because they still have two-time mvp in Giannis antetokounmpo chris middleton drew holiday best perimeter defender in my opinion at the guard spot in the nba they have a size advantage the bucks are lost right now and what i mean by lost is they aren't playing like themselves they aren't doing the things that gave them advantages in the Miami series, they are not playing to their strengths in this series and trying to minimize their weaknesses and their downside. They are lost right now. They are wandering in the forest or a maze. They went into the forest confident in themselves, and now as they're in this this unfamiliar place of playing this great opponent in Brooklyn, they have lost themselves in, in the first two games. And that's really concerning. And when you watch them play and you see the isolation, when you see the dribble down one or zero pass perimeter shots, that's not who the Milwaukee Bucks are. That is not how they play. That is not how they dominated the Miami Heat in the first round. I get it. Brooklyn is really good offensively. They're a harder matchup to guard than, than Miami is. But... There are things that they did in the first round against Miami that on on defense that they can do against Brooklyn. Now Brooklyn's ball movement has been incredible. And we're going to talk about that for a second. But they had Chris Middleton guard Duncan Robinson in the first round, 
So even though they knew, hey, this is a kind of a tough match, even though Middleton's very good on defensively, Robinson will, will get open. It forced in the cross matchups in transition where you kind of have to just guard who's closest to you in that initial transition of getting, in the Bucks' opinion, a favorable matchup in their eyes of Middleton on Robinson or Middleton on or Middleton on Hero. And the and they haven't really done that in this series of when the Nets start and the, you know, someone who could be an advantageous advantage to Chris Middleton or to Giannis. You know, they started Giannis on Kyrie, I think, to try to get that cross matchup. It hasn't really worked out that that well in terms of sticking with that matchup now that Harden is out. They could do those types of things. Maybe that can help them just get a couple easier looks in, in transition. But the lack of ball movement on offense by Milwaukee has been really, really stunning. And then also there, the guys who are handling the ball, the guys who are drilling the ball, is that it's been Giannis a lot of times at the top of the key, and the Nets are playing it perfectly. The Nets are saying, we want you to dribble and shoot from three, from mid-range, because when you do that, even as good as you are, and you will make a couple, even though you're, we're going to play the percentages, it takes the rest of the team out of the flow of the offense because movement stops. Everyone stands around and watches a lot of the time. And even though I've talked about how much better Giannis is at getting a passer, when everyone's just standing around watching him do his thing, when he's pulling up for jump shots, it's it's tough to score because there's not a lot of action and it makes a bad defensive team like the Nets not have to guard. Adjustments for game three, which will be critical for Milwaukee if they have any chance in the series because they're not fully out yet. No James Harden most likely means Milwaukee still has a chance. They need to get Giannis off the ball. They need him setting ball screens all the time, the way they did against Miami, so that Kyrie has to guard ball screens if he's guarding Middleton or or Holiday in transition. You, you, You need to get Blake Griffin into ball screen action. You need to get defensive rotations. You need to get Joe Harris into these rotations so that the Nets have to guard because, the, one, the Nets aren't very good at it, and two, they don't really have a lot of defensive-focused players. And so anything that they can do to, to make them guard and put them into ball screen action and make them guard and get Giannis diving to the rim, which is their huge advantages in their size. Get him around the basket. Don't have him out in the perimeter dribbling and having people set ball screens for him because Blake Griffin is at the restricted arc. He's below the free throw line. And so if you're going to set a ball screen there, it lets everyone else just pinch in and help and an easy switch if Giannis is going to shoot that. The floor is just so contracted right now. It's really hard for them to score that they need Holiday and Middleton to become the main uh, instigators of the offense, and they're missing DiVincenzo greatly for for what for this is one of those reasons. But if they can get Giannis off the ball, setting screens, diving to the hoop, attacking the offensive glass, they have a chance in in Game Three because at home they should shoot better than the eight for twenty seven from three they shot in Game Two and the six for whatever that they shot in in Game One. But the other thing that they need to do is. I don't like criticizing coaches too much on the on this podcast. Some of the rotations that Coach Budenholzer has decided to go with in in the first two games don't make a lot of sense. They just fundamentally don't, and they're putting their team at a major, major disadvantage because 
he's playing an un, un, seemingly unstoppable offensive team and going, in my opinion, too much to the bench at the same time. You cannot, against the Nets, if they have Durant and Kyrie on the floor, play Bryn Forbes, Pat Connaughton at the same time. Jeff Teague with Pat Connaughton at the same time. Because to the Nets, that's just it's just too easy and too obvious of what exactly they're going to do, put into an action, and then let the dominoes fall. They need to play their stars. And it's something Coach Bud has been hesitant to do in previous seasons. That's been one of the legit fair criticisms of the Milwaukee Bucks is not playing Giannis enough, not playing Middleton enough, not riding their best guys, which we see other teams do in the playoffs. They need to shorten the rotation. Or at least if they're going to use their bench, you can't play two or three bench guys at the same time because defensively, they can't hold up, and then two, they can't score enough. They need to be really, really particular and stringent with their lineup choices of who can play together, who has to stay on the floor in certain lineups, and I think it's time because they, as good as Lopez has been, and I would still start Lopez, you have to think about having Giannis play the five, taking Lopez out, and having P.J. Tucker in the game a lot more than he has been just defensively toughness, offensive rebounding and seeing if, if, if you can play Bryn Forbes just to get a little more shooting and a little more offense, it's going to hurt defensively. But if how small Brooklyn is, as, as long as you can just live and help and show so that Forbes doesn't have to guard Durant, it, it may be okay. But it's a really, really tough pick-your-poison type thing. But it's it's a legit question of where the Bucks go from here. But, but the first thing that, that, that they need to do that can make a huge difference is getting Giannis off the ball and having him in the actions, but as the screener, not as the dribbler. On the net side of things, this is basketball poetry in motion. And look, as much as I just talked about the Bucks and, and, and what they need to do adjusting for the rest of the series, Kevin Durant is Kevin Durant. If he's going to shoot the ball the way that he has the first two games and be dominant and, and unstoppable, it's going to be really, really hard for for Milwaukee or anybody to beat them. If Kyrie Irving is going to make the correct, perfect pass every single time while also shooting a very high percentage, they're going to be really hard to beat. If Joe Harris is going to keep knocking down shots and moving the ball, they're going to be really hard to beat. If Blake Griffin starts becoming the third best player on the court when he's in in stretches, no one's going to beat them. When you watch the Brooklyn Nets the last two games, what has jumped out to me is the ball movement. They are hard to guard if they just went one-on-one ISO with Kyrie and Durant. They are even harder to guard when the ball is ping-ponging and flying all over the court because it is all with purpose. It is all to good offensive players. Give Bruce Brown a lot of credit in certain starting lineup in game two. He is a weak three-point shooter at this part of his career. So what does he do? He cuts right to the high post. And you get the ball there at every level of basketball, especially in the NBA, good things happen. And Bruce Brown finds a way to get to the middle 
and make things happen. He gets offensive rebounds. He's getting extra possessions for them and letting their superstars lead them. And then when you have Landry Shamick off the bench, knocking down shots, Mike James knocking down a couple three-pointers, they're just really, really, really hard to beat. And give Steve Nash credit for empowering his team and getting them to play together, which is really hard when you have all these guys who haven't played a lot together in the regular season. And give the front office credit. As seemingly every move that they have made this, this last season and a half has worked. Every addition, Blake Griffin, Bruce Brown, Shamit, Mike James, Claxton, obviously the superstars, Irving Durant, and Harden. It's it's all worked. And when everything is seemingly working together and, and you know, you don't really see any type of misses on this roster, you just gotta worry about injury. And the Harden insurance and or sorry, the Harden trade provides insurance for an injury. It's unfortunate it was Harden who's the one that got injured, because you love to see him playing and kind of exercising his playoff demons but you make that trade so that you always have two superstars on on the court healthy for you and if the nets are going to move the ball the way that they have been they're going to keep getting open looks and it's just on them to keep knocking them down the other eastern conference series last night hawks sixers game two Embiid looks super healthy again in game two dominating he had a 40 40 points on on the Hawks, he got to the free throw line, 16, you know, he took 16 free throws, had double-double, 40, 13 points. Not much you can do about him. The Hawks roster talked about how how good that they have been. Not much you can do about Joel Embiid. And what you're watching there with Philly, to keep an eye on, because I, I do think the Philly is going to beat the Hawks. It may go six games, but I think that Philly will, will beat the Hawks. Is Philly has the ultimate trump card on Brooklyn. In Brooklyn does not have anyone to guard Joel Embiid. They will be forced to double team him because otherwise Embiid will score every single time or get fouled every single time. And Philly, do they have? I think Philly has the defense and the size to challenge Brooklyn. Not Maybe not beat them, but to challenge them. And, and what you're seeing here is they shot the ball obviously great last night. Tobias, 11 for 19 from the field. Seth Curry shot the ball great. They are a team that I think can challenge Brooklyn. And it's and it's interesting. You know, they, they did a good job not fouling. Uh, Bogdanovich, zero free throws. John Collins, zero free throws. Capella, zero free throws. You know, Young went to line nine times, but that's what he does. It's, it's going to be really interesting to see. Not ruling out the Hawks yet, but it'll be really interesting to see and I'm excited for, after watching the first two games of each series, a Sixers-Nets Eastern Conference Finals. The other most dominant big guy in the NBA remaining in these playoffs. The official 2020-2021 MVP, Nikola Jokic, Denver Nuggets. The 41st overall pick in the 2014 draft. The lowest drafted MVP in NBA history. Fundamentally, as the GM of the Nuggets have said, they got lucky. You don't pick at 41 saying, this guy is going to become an MVP and one of the six or seven best players in the world. That's not something that that happens. But give the Nuggets credit. Every pick that they have made since then, every move have has worked out. And it's been 
really cool to see them build this roster. So congratulations to Jokic. He's an incredible player to watch. So much fun, so creative offensively. They have a difficult matchup with Phoenix. Phoenix played great. It was really cool to see the crowd into it um, with the way that they were moving the ball and scoring. And, and, you know, there was one big lob that got the crowd really into it. But that series, game one, don't overreact at all. The Nuggets play long series. The Suns are good. The Suns are really good. Give them credit. They have gotten better the whole season. It's cool. Chris Paul seemingly is getting healthier and healthier, which is going to make them harder to beat. This series is going to come down to, can Phoenix still single cover Jokic in the post? They did it in game one. They had eight and guard Jokic one-on-one, and it worked. They Phoenix was able to win the game. Can they keep that up for the whole series? Because if they can... Then it then I think Phoenix wins the series. But but if they if Jokic starts dominating on the inside and drawing a lot of fouls and Phoenix is forced to double because they don't have a lot of size, then you could start seeing the dominoes start falling on offense, drives, kicks, layups, fouls, threes, all those things that make Denver and Jokic in particular so dangerous and makes them so hard to guard offensively. But that will be a really fun series to keep an eye on going forward as the Nuggets don't play any normal series. They always, always make it difficult, extend, just extend series all the time. That game is tonight, 9.30 Eastern time on TNT. The only game tonight, so it's going to be really interesting uh, to see how that plays out. The other game from last night, Game 1, Clippers-Jazz. In a really weird start, You the, the Jazz missed close, it may have been, 20 but it felt like they just went on a stretch where they missed every single shot in a row and it it was weird it was like wait you guys are in the nba (laughs) um you guys should be making these shots uh they attempted i'm gonna repeat this they attempted 53 pointers in the game 50 the clippers attempted 42 but the jazz attempted 50 and I get it. It's some people's, it's not their favorite way to watch basketball. It's seemingly is just a layup or a three-pointer the whole time. I get it, okay? I don't love it either. Sometimes we're just three, 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 three. But that's an absurd number. <laughs> that's an absurd number, especially as they were struggling initially shooting the ball. What is going to be really interesting going forward is the Jazz have real size and they have Rudy Gobert who's better than Boban who and Porzingis who the Clippers played in the first round. The Clippers stayed small. They went small against Dallas and that turned the series to their favor. And they went small last night. They started small. They went with Batum at the five, with Morris uh, at the four, you know, Kawhi, Paul George, and and Reggie Jackson. It'll be really interesting to see if they can stay with that lineup for long periods of time. Can they can they stay small, or will they start Zubac to match up against Gobert? If Gobert c- continues to give them trouble on the offensive glass throughout the series, game two, game three, what do the Clippers do about it? That will be really interesting to see the adjustments and the chess pieces that Ty that that Coach Ty Lue uses and. 
just want to point out again, Luke Kennard went from being left for dead, essentially. They signed to this four-year, $64 million extension before the season. He was okay during during the season. Five straight DNPs in the first round of the playoffs. He played 29 minutes last night, 7 for 9 from the field, four three-pointers for a total of 18 points. He, You always see this in, in the playoffs. Guys come in step up guys you you don't expect and he's that guy right now for the Clippers who is making the most of his opportunity when when his number was called and it shows the value and power of shooting of just the Clippers just have even though they even though they lost last night and I think eventually you're gonna see Donovan Mitchell get the Kawhi Leonard treatment he wasn't gonna get it fully for game one you know in the same type of intensity as they just played a long series, but he's going to get the the Kawhi Leonard treatment the same way Luka Doncic did. And the more that other guys can step up and hit shots, whether it's Luke Kennard, Terrence Mann, Rondo, Marcus Morris, that will help the Clippers immensely going forward because game ones don't overreact. Don't overreact to game one, but we're going to see how it goes in each game uh, coming up. So, That'll do it for this episode of The Double Double. If you like this podcast, you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever your podcast, where you can subscribe, rate, and review. Five stars would be much, much appreciated. Let's follow us on Twitter at DBL underscore DBL podcast. We'll be back hopefully tomorrow. Until then, take care and make it a great day.